Good morning, noon, or night, wherever and whenever you're listening. You're listening to The Shift. I'm your host, Doug McKenty. This is episode 35 of The Shift. It's being recorded on May 3rd, 2018. If you like what you're hearing, please think about becoming a patron. That's patreon.com backslash The Shift. Follow my news feed on Facebook at The Shift with Doug McKenty. Join the conversation on Twitter at McKenty and find my archives and more information about the show at the website, theshiftnow.com. My guest on the show today is film and television actor, producer, director, and writer Peter Valentino. Peter started his career in the music business fronting the band Neon Venus, based out of New York City. He then focused his creative talents on acting, moving to the West Coast, where he has participated in the creation of over 20 short films and television series. In 2014, he produced the feature film Papa Munde and the 9-11 Mechanism, in which he also played a lead role as Victor Rothschild. Peter helps other actors get into the business by operating the Neon Venus Art Theater out of Las Vegas, as well as the Peter Valentino Acting Studio located in Hollywood, California. Recently, Peter has chosen to make the shift from art to politics and has announced his bid for the governorship of the state of California. His platform includes major revisions to the standard operating procedures present in the state apparatus. He seeks to empower local communities by reducing corporate influence, as well as eliminating the anti-democratic soft power inspired and imposed by the United Nations through its Agenda 21 program. As governor of California, Peter would also reform education by eliminating the federal Common Core curriculum, remove the current mandatory vaccination program, ban GMOs, and address the growing danger created by geoengineering and the coming 5G network. Peter's alternative views may be called conspiracy theory by those in the mainstream, but his willingness to advocate for these issues through this gubernatorial campaign is quickly solidifying Peter's leadership role in a rapidly growing movement for truth that represents the many Americans waking up to the lies and deceit perpetrated by an elite class in control of a corrupted political establishment. Peter Valentino, thanks for participating in this interview and thank you for helping to make the shift. Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Glad to be here. So just to get started, I was wondering what inspired you to want to make this bid for the governorship? Um, a lot of people ask that, and it's uh, a thing that came over me when I saw all the destruction of the drought. And, uh, and I could tell, I, I know nature a lot, and I study nature, I look at nature all the time, and, uh, and human nature as well. And when I looked at that drought, I could tell it wasn't a real drought. I've lived in California all my life, I'm a native, and we've had droughts before. Um, but this was something that was a drought on steroids. It's not uh, obviously way over the top in terms of experience before. And then I see all the chemtrails in the sky and I go, duh, does anybody think maybe that has an effect on the drought? Uh, and then I just saw all the fish dying, the trees dying, and I, I just couldn't stand it anymore. So I thought um, this is, uh, after Papa Mundi, I feel I understand how the government structure is, and I can look at it and say, okay, something's wrong and is causing this. So you mentioned Papa Mundi. It was interesting because I first heard that term and I thought, what the heck is he talking about? And then I watched the film and I, oh, okay, I get it. But um, can you describe for my listeners what that term means and, and how it was, uh, you know, how it was promoted, how the idea evolved through that, through that movie? Uh, yes, actually, the word itself came from the director Lillian Hurst uh, in a dream, 
and uh, she is uh, her first language is Spanish. She's Puerto Rican, so uh, it's it comes to mean Papa Mundi, the Pope of the world, because in Spanish you call the Pope Papa, and uh, so Mundi means world. Uh, in both the Spanish and Italian Romance languages. And so it means the Pope of the world. And what it is, it's stating that they want to put one governing person uh, in Jerusalem as the, the main guy. And, and also um, there are a lot of ties into to religion and uh, other people, secret societies, who actually want this kind of overall monarch of the world. And I call that person, the Papa Mundi. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about how you developed your worldview and what was the process that you went through? I mean, I, I assume like many of the rest of us, you weren't born into this. I mean, so many of us are, um, you know, indoctrinated through the public education system and through the mainstream media. So how did you break away from that? What was that like? And, and how did you then construct this larger worldview that you hold today? Uh, it really, the seminal event is the fact that I lost my brother, my older brother in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason that's a seminal event is because it really shook my world. And I, I had to change everything I was doing. At the time, I had started UCLA as a physics major. And I remember asking my brother-in-law, who worked at TRW Corporation, who was an engineer and also had been a physics uh, person, I said, so what is your job like? And his job at TRW was uh, figuring out with a computer program which city in the Soviet Union to destroy if they destroyed one of our cities. So he was working on this uh, mutual annihilation program uh, with all his education from UCLA. And I thought, this is not, I, I don't want to be that kind of person. I can't be that kind of person. I lost my brother. I have to go in a different direction. So then I moved into the arts, which is also a strong thread in my family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a similar experience actually in college. I just watched all of the, or almost all of the engineering majors or physics majors, the scientists, the mathematicians, uh, you know, they got jobs with the military industrial complex after they got out of school because there's so much money in it. I mean, it's almost the whole culture that we live in is so focused on destruction, really, that it's difficult to take this alternative path. But then once you start to go down it, you start to realize that things are very different from what they're telling you. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, can you describe then, you know, well, why don't we just talk about your, your worldview in general? I mean, where do you get this notion it seems like, at least from the movie Papa Mundi and the 9-11 mechanism, that all things are sort of coming out of Rome. You talk about the Knights of Malta um, and the Vatican as being central players. Um, and so just, you know, how does the United States military fit into that? How are How is it being led from this sort of foreign enterprise in, in your worldview? Uh, yeah, it's, it's necessary historically to go back a little bit to the Second World War. You could go back earlier, too. Mm -hmm. You could go back to the Inquisition, uh, 600 years of Inquisition under Rome. And uh, so we, we should know that Rome is dangerous uh, from the outset. And people forget that. They go to sleep. Uh, in the Second World War, um, there were... Um, there were agreements, they call them concordats, between the Vatican and Hitler 
and Mussolini and Franco, the three major, major um, fascists in Europe uh, during the Second World War. So we can see with those concordats that the Vatican is supporting fascism that they like fascism. Uh, and if you read uh, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, you'll find that there's a Catholic bent that's running through uh, Hitler's Germany. He also talks about the fact that uh, in creating his order, he looked at the Jesuits and he copied the Jesuit order. So there, there are so many fingers pointing at Rome. And then also after the war, you have the now famous Vatican rat lines uh, which is part of history, that the Vatican helped Nazis uh, escape to both the U.S. and to Argentina. And so the, they've got their hands dirty historically. And so when uh, now we have this nice, friendly, dressed in white pope that everybody loves, but he's a Jesuit. So his uh, allegiances lie with that. And, um, and, and also it's very important to know that Catholicism... Uh, is a religion for the people who practice that religion, but um, the Vatican itself is not a religion. It is a nation. And once they made themselves a nation under Mussolini, they are a nation. They have permanent observer status in the UN. Uh, the UN is their little uh, stepchild. And so for us to go to sleep and think that this organization is benign in some way, uh, regardless of their history, then we have to see that we have to wake up. And I, I trace them to uh, the perpetration of 9-11 with the Knights of Malta, who are the uh, Vatican military, essentially. So with uh, so many Knights of Malta showing up, it's, it's actually, it's comical in a certain kind of way that they think they can get away with it because they just have so much noblesse oblige uh, that they think they can just do whatever they want. And they did 9-11. I am probably one of the only people taking them to task for that. But now, after winning 9-11, uh, America lost 9-11. Uh, then what we got is this whole other new government under Homeland Security and the Patriot Act. So we have to see that with those abridgments to our freedoms, that we lost that war and now they're coming, that group of people, we can call it the Vatican, but most people won't see that, they'll see the UN. So those people are coming for us now mm -hmm. uh, with chemtrails, with GMOs, mandatory vaccinations, all these things are part of a depopulation program that is meant to kill us and they have come in to reorganize the structure of our government. Um, and, and I could get into that, but that, that's, I'm taking them to task for it and they have to be seen and people have to say, no, we can't deal with that. No, thanks. Yeah, I do kind of like, and, and you know, just as a, an aside, if, if any one of you who are listening are Catholic, I mean, this doesn't really impugn your spirituality if it works for you. Um, but as an organization, I think that there are a lot of facts that point to this notion that, that the Vatican is kind of an extension. I tend to look at it as an extension of what the Roman Empire was seeking to do 2,000 years ago. You mentioned the Inquisition. So that was a lot of, of controlling information five, six, seven hundred years ago uh, to make sure that uh, just a handful of people could understand um, you know, the ways of the world or, or, I mean, a lot, so much of this is about the control, just a handful of people having control and seeking just like any empire to dominate the entire world. 
Uh, and that, yeah. that's where it makes sense to me then when you can see that the United Nations as a, a vehicle for this to start to break down the sovereignty of individual nations and then uh, create this one world apparatus that, that this handful of people can then take control of. And as you say, eventually just the one person, this Papa Munde. Mm-hmm. You talked a little bit in the movie about then how the goal is uh, to actually, I mean, essentially what seems to be going on just as a, just to get this big picture concept uh, out of the way before we talk about the individual platforms for your campaign, uh, that they, they seem to be focusing a lot on the city of Jerusalem and it's actually is this larger war against Islam that's happening. I saw the movie and it started to put things in context, especially with what's going on in Syria right now. So if you could explain... Uh, the importance of Jerusalem to these people, and maybe a little bit about the history of it and what's going on, I think it could help for people to understand a larger picture here. Yeah, well, historically, we actually have to go back to the book of Revelation, where um, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is supposed to, Christ is supposed to come back and rule for a thousand years. And these people have talked about the um, secret societies, they have talked about a thousand years Reich, basically. Uh, and they, they want that. So that's the Christians being in control. So the Pope is uh, the vicar of Christ, meaning vi- like vicarious taking the place of. So uh, the Papa Mundi takes the place of Christ ruling in Jerusalem. And this may seem far-fetched, but if you look at the machinations happening in Jerusalem, there are lots of, uh, there's lots of energy to tear down the um, Temple of the Dome of the Rock and to recreate Solomon's Temple. Or uh, for the Jewish people there, uh, they wish to rebuild their temple that was destroyed in 70 some odd AD uh, by the Romans uh, and creating that diaspora of, of Jews. And they, for them and their religion, they feel that they want to come back and build, rebuild that temple. Uh, but the Christians are saying, well, we're actually going to rebuild our temple. Uh, they make it look to the Jews as if they're there, um, to, you know, they're going to help them build their thing. But honestly, it's the Christians who want Jerusalem. Uh, Henry Kissinger was quoted as saying, uh, in 10 years, there will be no more Jerusalem. There will be no more uh, Israel, he actually said. Wow. And that's because... Uh, and he said that two or three years ago, and that is because what they want is a dramatic restructuring of the area. Um, there were several Islamic countries that were on a list that were be, to be taken down, and they have been taken down one by one. And all of this is as a result of 9-11, uh, blaming it falsely on the Islamic nation, when in truth, uh, they had very little, if nothing, to do with the hit itself. Yeah, I mean, this is fascinating, just because the worldview that you're describing here is really about this conflict between these gigantic world religions. Uh, a lot of people, I think, in this day and age think that we've moved past this, but the people that are in power, the people that are in control, they've been working towards these goals for thousands of years. I mean, this is like the end game for something that the the early yeah. Roman emperors were trying to implement. And so, you know, from the point of view of these longer traditions with these long, you know, thousands of years worth of lineage, um, 
you know, to them, they're manufacturing this end game that they've been working towards for, for such a long period of time. So I think if you think about it from their point of view, what they're trying to accomplish, it really starts to make sense. Um, yeah. In what ways then is the UN, I think you even mentioned in Papa Mundi that eventually what they're going to say is the solution. They're, they're causing this problem. We see this so often where they cause the problem, which will be this war in the Middle East to get the Muslims out, take back control of Israel. Um, and then um, the ultimate notion is then to put the United Nations in Jerusalem and turn that into the capital of the new one world government, if you will. Yes, and the United Nations is already, uh, for all intense, practical intents and purposes, in charge of that area. And um, so the idea is to, uh, the way I see it in Papa Mundi, is to create a struggle that destroys the Temple of the Dome of the Rock, mm -hmm. uh, causing a, a jihad. So uh, then that jihad will absorb Israel as we know it today. And then the UN will come in, solve the problem, uh, kill all the bad people or whatever, and then say, okay, it's all good. We're here now. And then they'll rebuild their temple. So, um, uh, and, and I, I caution people, and I've done several videos on this. I caution uh, both Americans and Israelis uh, about destroying that temple because that is then the, the kickoff of, of jihad. 9-11 um, is essentially the kickoff of World War III, and all this restructuring uh, is taking place uh, because that's what you do in a world war. One and two actually restructure the world. That's why they're calling it a world war. Mm -hmm. And World War III, which has already begun in a tacit sort of way, started on 9-11, and some very dramatic restructuring has taken place after that. So uh, we just have to watch them close, uh, stay cool, and and see how we can bridge these these things. Um, learn how to get along with Islam, uh, Russia. Learn how to get along with other nations, and that that is our our test right now. Uh, can we throw away the UN and just get along? Because the UN actually seems to be a peacekeeping organization. I actually visited. Um, uh, Egypt on a, uh, a tour, a musical tour, because I'm a musician. And uh, I could see how they're putting together their whole thing. And I, I call it a, a biblical theme park. What they want to come up with there in that area is, is something where they'll have a strong uh, religious and political uh, grasp on the entire world from that location. Jerusalem. Can you just go in a little bit deeper into 9-11? Because it does seem to be such a pivotal um, point there. And then this, the beginning of this World War III. What I find fascinating about this is that I, I think at first glance, this kind of worldview can seem so far out, but then it starts to make sense when it's, I mean, the United States is being so aggressive right now in Syria and against Russia. We've been bombarded with the the anti-Russian propaganda, and um, it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense the way, I mean, this recent chemical attack that I think was very obviously this false flag. I, I mean, it's almost so apparent that they can just lie about this stuff. And But then you got to wonder, why are we actually doing this? I mean, why do they go through these links to lie and then have the mainstream media spread all of this propaganda, this anti-Syria propaganda? But it does start to make sense when you start to think, well, 
you know, this is their end game to be able to take over Jerusalem, to be able to control the Middle East. Um, so talk about how 9-11 was that pivotal point, and especially in relationship with the Knights of Malta, because it was so interesting to find out how many of the central figures in 9-11 and the creation of Homeland Security and this whole new, really, uh, police state that the United States has become since 9-11. And then also it's the takeover really of the U.S. military for the purposes of perpetrating this World War III. I mean, this is what they had to do in order to be able to have control of the military so they could use it uh, as the force of violence against the Muslim people in the Middle East to, to commit this endgame. Yeah, um, the American military um, was given over to, to NATO and the UN basically on 9-11. And uh, Obama really sealed that. He, he did as many things as he could and, he, you know, saying, okay, I have to go do this because NATO said to do it, because the UN said to do it. Um, there was one time when his, um, uh, I can't remember his name, it's an Italian uh, last name, uh, the, the Secretary of Defense under Obama, especially in his first term, went before the Senate and they were saying, why did you go do these attacks? And he basically, his answer was, well, the UN and NATO told us to. Mm -hmm. And the senator said, that's not right, you know, you're our military. And he just didn't get the memo from 9-11 that we essentially gave our military over on that on that day, and um, so that and that's what the UN wants. That's their end game is to have all of our militaries. Mm -hmm. and, and this stuff um, with Syria, it's just as phony as it can be. Um, Al Qaeda was an invention of CIA, uh, CIA all the way. You know, it, everybody knows now. I think that it means database, right? Uh, and that that's what it was—a database of of terrorists that they could use. Uh, then ISIS is the same thing. ISIS is a made-up thing. Uh, a lot of people, I, I see it as Western intelligence, and other people talk about it coming from the, the Mossad. So I think it's a combination. And so we create the, we create the enemy, or they, these they, create the enemy, and then we go solve it. And that, that's an important thing uh, that I want people to understand, is when you see a problem, and then you see them coming in with a solution, it's a really good bet that they created the problem because what this what this organization knows how to do, uh, it's pretty much the only thing they know how to do is false flag operations. So all of these operations, we live in a false flag operation. It's America in terms of its ideology right now is is a joke. It's uh, and people in other countries, I've heard heard Putin mention, you know that we just. Are phony and, uh, and and I really that's why I got involved. I, I can tell the truth, and even though it seems extreme, it's only going to seem extreme for a while because mm -hmm. people check into their history. They can check out everything I say is absolutely true, and um, some things uh, some things I had to conjecturalize, like the actual how 9/11 um, happened with the destructions of the building. And I said the buildings. I said that there were bombs in there beforehand. Uh, and I said nukes also, and that's in the movie. Uh, that came out in early 2014. And then in June of 2014, I came across this guy, Dmitry Kolozov, who said there were nukes in the bottom of the buildings. And then I thought, oh, my God. Yeah, he actually fulfilled a lot of other little things that I just knew because I know things. And so, yeah, every little part of it is something you can check into. It's, it's important to know that... Um, 
their their end game though is stoppable and uh that even though it seems like this great monolithic beast that wants to have its way there there's always that uh little little thing the the mouse can save the lion you know mm -hmm. we we have the little boy can put his finger in the dike in, in the uh in the dutch uh, mythology so we have to see that we can get through this and to be optimistic about it because these people because of their evil are actually not very smart they have to work in groups of people secret societies they work with, behind closed doors neither none of them have their individual minds um, they are just a collective and they're trying to get us into collectivism. They're trying to get us to accept their immorality as part of our morality. And so we have to see beyond it. And that is the key to getting around this. Yeah. I mean, as I've done more of these interviews before I got started doing this, obviously I had my, uh, already had developed a, a worldview that included a lot of these ideas, but the more of these interviews I do, the more it really strikes me that the social engineering and the control of the mainstream media is even more powerful than I had realized before. And so many people, it really takes a, a, a personal individual effort and some real critical thinking skills to be able to look through the massive information that's out there and find the real history, checking your sources, you know, to, to construct yeah. a worldview that starts to make more sense. Can you talk about uh, the control of the mainstream media? What, for example, like in your uh, running for governor during your campaign here, what has it been like to deal with the mainstream media? Do they even mess with your campaign at all? Or, I mean, do you, how, you know? I don't have any knowledge of, of um, the mainstream media even touching on my existence. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm in the midst of uh, a situation where I'm getting these signatures which will put me on the ballot uh, as a write-in. You actually, you get on this list of write-in candidates that have been uh, registered and vetted by the LA County Registrar. So uh, I'm working towards that. And when I reach that or get through that hoop, uh, I believe that I'll be able to take advantage of mainstream media and that I can have a voice through that. So I'm, I'm preparing for that. Mm -hmm. And um, the mainstream media, okay. Uh, it's important to see certain things as a coup d'etat. JFK's assassination is a coup d'etat. Uh, and when we understand it as a coup d'etat, we can see that it's this same group of people. Um, I see a meeting of uh, Nelson Rockefeller who met with uh, LBJ and other people planning it just, just before. Uh, other people like Nixon was in town for some weird reason right. on that. Uh, George H.W. Bush shows up on that day. Um, these are these are part of the the New World Order folks. And then because of the um, the assassination of the of the president, we get terms like conspiracy theory. Because anybody who thought that it wasn't just Oswald with his magic bullet who did it, any non-believer of that you know, that truth, mm -hmm. uh, and then, uh, was a conspiracy theorist. And so they, they began the crackdown on the media at that point. Um, the CIA now basically runs our media and the CIA was started by, uh, Knights of Malta, uh, this guy, General Donovan and, uh, and also, uh, Alan Dulles two Knights of Malta. So it, it comes right out of the Vatican. It is, um, also, all the uh, 
the intelligence networks across the world come out of the Vatican and are vestiges of uh, the Inquisition, which actually only stopped a couple hundred years ago. It's, it isn't all that far in the past uh, for us to jog our memories and, and come up with the idea that, uh, yes, these people are the ones who are trying to rule the world. And, and also, I just want to say to Americans, when you have the Pope come and speak before a joint session of Congress, which uh, no person is supposed to do from another nation or let alone religion, um, that I feel is, is kind of a 9-11 victory speech. He's kind of coming in and saying, okay, I really am in charge here. Uh, I really, that kind of thing to me, to have a Pope speaking before a joint session of Congress is, is probably the most un-American thing that we could imagine doing. Mm -hmm. And I just want to wise people up um, and, and my cousins are Catholics. I, I have nothing against Catholics or the religion itself or any kind of thing about Christianity. And I feel that Christianity actually, in its truest sense, can help us get through this. Uh, but these people are not practicing that. They're practicing a whole other, whole other religion uh, that is very deeply disturbed. And um, so my, my prayer is that the good people of America will wake up and see um, these people are, are evil because they are obviously patently absurdly evil and, and then just say, no, we don't want you to be in charge of us. We, we don't want to. That's, that's old news. We broke away from that. Uh, we are free and we have our constitution and we will remain free. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there is a, a psychological war going on. There's so much indoctrination happening with the Common Core curriculum and with the mainstream media. But then if enough of us, I mean, we have the numbers, there's no way they can stop us if we can figure this out and we can just put our put our foot down. Uh, I almost yeah. look at it as a, it's like an abusive relationship, like a narcissistic relationship where these people are gaslighting us and fooling us and putting forward these fronts of, you know, being in the, oh, we love everyone, everything's all one, we're trying to help everyone, um, but then behind the scenes, their real selfish motivations are there. Um, yeah. And we just have to be able to see that and, you know, and set some really effective boundaries, I think. <laughs> yeah, boundaries, and, and actually uh, speaking to something you just mentioned obliquely, uh, the idea of, of borders, and I'm bringing up because you said boundaries, mm -hmm. Um, the idea of we're all one, everything's good, you know, no borders, no countries, is just a little ruse to break down borders, to break down countries. And without a country, we can't have a constitution. Mm -hmm. So then that opens us up. If we give up the idea of national sovereignty and give up the idea of uh, borders and countries, then they sweep in and say, okay, then give us all your armies and we're in charge now. And, and the only problem with that, even though it seems like, oh, well, there'd be no war because there's, there's the UN will have all the armies and we won't be able to fight. It means that when the UN gets all our armies and all our guns, they will kill us. Okay. That is, that is certain. If you look at UN Agenda 21 and you look at uh, how they talk about depopulation, that's murder. They're talking about murder and they're trying to get us to accept the idea of depopulation it sounds so much sweeter than the word murder, but it is murder. Okay, so and that is what this group of group of people intends, and um, that is what they're moving on every day. 
Yeah, that's good that you brought up Agenda 21. I wanted to go there too. I just did the interview with Tom DeWeese where we focused on this. And as I was doing the research, I really realized that like on, on all of the TV screens, whenever we talk about the UN, it's the peacekeepers, it's the debates, it's where we're going to move the militaries around. Um, but behind the scenes, there's this Agenda 21 happening, which I, I wrote in my introduction, I kind of like the term, it's like the United Nations soft power. And they have these public-private partnerships and these non-governmental organizations, which it, it's becoming more and more clear to me that this is a process to circumvent our communities, our state sovereignty, our federal sovereignty, i.e. the democratic process. Like they're going behind the democratic process. They're just approaching the mayors of individual cities and they're saying, hey, sign on to this program and we'll give you these funds. Um, but then, you know, can you just explain a little bit more about how this is a, a worldwide program that's the seed of this idea of this world government, where one organization is going to be able to control the, the education? They call it the, you know, environmental and sustainable movement, and they paint it in this green mask, but they don't, you know, they don't really describe exactly what's going on. I mean, what is environmental? What does sustainable living mean? They have their definitions and then uh, they're really coming in and starting to centralize control under this environmentalism banner. Yeah, um, they knew for a long time that they were going to use that banner. Uh, at first, in the early 70s, it was global cooling that they were pushing because they felt that that was the direction that things were going to go. So they did a scare campaign on global cooling. Uh, later, they decided to change it. To make it global warming and then since now you really can't tell whether it's warming or cooling they call it climate climate change and um but here's the thing that everybody should know uh geoengineering is causative of climate change so the geoengineering the chemtrails you see in the sky those desiccate the atmosphere those cause climate change uh with those uh technologically you can change weather you can create uh, droughts, tornadoes, hurricanes, uh, any number of different weather anomalies. And, and they have, and they've, they've used this uh, widely. So, uh, and also with, um, with something that you just talked about, um, George Soros actually, uh, what some people call the billionaire liberal, uh, he actually paid for the Agenda 21 conference. And so he's very much behind that. And then he also uh, paid and bought out the Democratic National Convention. The DNC or Democrats got $100 million from George Soros. So pretty much he bought that party and uh, he controls that. And so a lot of things we see from Democrats, and I was a Democrat, uh, but I opted out mm -hmm. uh, because I want to say that he did not buy me with that $100 million. I don't go with that deal. And um, so when I see the Democrats, and most of my friends are, are Democrats, or were at, at this one time, uh, just very recently, um, I feel they act funny. All they could do uh, after Trump was elected was talk about how they hate him. And it seemed like all of their potential thoughts for change were just focused on, gee, I hate Trump. And, and I just, uh, at that point, I thought, okay, something is really wrong with this. And then I found out, 
oh, okay, it's because George Soros bought them out. I understand now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it starts to make sense uh, why Bernie Sanders lost the primary. <laughs> oh, yeah, you, it doesn't have – actually, I was in favor of Bernie at first. I, mm -hmm. Then I found out he was a socialist. But the reason I liked him at first is because he was not bought out, because he was not a friend of Henry Kissinger, as was Hillary Clinton. And, uh, and Henry Kissinger, uh, I credit as being the mastermind of 9-11. So he's extremely and ostensibly evil person. And to have her um, in bed with him, almost literally when you see pictures of them together, uh, was just disheartening. And so that, that led me to vote for Trump. And, um, and I'm glad about that. I, I talk to people sometimes, I, I don't know, I feel bad about voting for Trump. I say, no, you made the right choice. <laughs> It's good, you know, and and even telling that, if my friends heard me saying that now, certain groups of friends uh, from a little bit of the past, they'd say, oh, my God, you did that. Or even my family. I can't even tell my family that I did that. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm an honest person, and I, I have to speak the truth. So I voted for him. I support him. Uh, I don't support the uh, invasion of Syria, you know, dropping bombs on people. No, I'm not into that at all. I'm a peacenik. I, I really wish he would um, wise up and stay on, on the national program of, of fixing things at home. Don't go, you know, gallivanting off. And also, don't create problems with Russia. Let's, let's look for a way that we can get along with Russia. I personally am learning Russian right now. And the reason for that is... I get along with Russians great. They're, they're wonderful people. I feel that if we were to get along with the two countries, we don't need the UN anyway. We just learn to get along. And then they've got that big room where we can meet in New York. Well, let's, let's get rid of that building and that room, and let's have another place. There are ballrooms everywhere. We can, we can meet as countries, get along in a fraternal brotherhood, and, and have true... Um, globalism of of caring and watching out for each other instead of this kind of positioning and uh i hate you sort of stuff we, we got to really evolve past that right now mm -hmm. yeah i think that the the manufacturer of a lot of the fear and the hatred of other people the either the 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 muslim world or the russians is how americans uh, kind of can get sucked into spending so much money on this massive military that we have. And so they're constantly creating this, this fear-based mentality or this us versus them. I mean, to me, it would just be so simple. I think, I mean, the average American, the average Syrian, the average Russian, they're just people. They're going to get along. It's just phenomenal the links these governments go to to create this antagonism. And then it gives them the excuse to use their militaries. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've taught English as a fallback profession. Um, I'm a musician and also an actor and a uh, teacher. But when I taught English, I would meet people throughout the world from, from everywhere. So I know Chinese, Japanese, all Arab countries. I've met all these people, even around the 9-11 time. And um, I get along with everybody. And uh, people now these days, they'll say, well, you know, in the Islamic religion, it says kill the infidel and stuff like that. If you look at the Jewish Bible, it says the same thing, sure. you know. Uh, sure. Honestly, our, our Bibles, uh, oftentimes, if we look at them in some kind of, a certain kind of light, we go kill everybody who's not like us. Uh, and certainly Christianity, uh, when, Constant, when uh, Constantine at first came up with it, uh, he had a vision under this symbol, you will conquer. Okay, so 
that is onward Christian soldiers from the very beginning, mm -hmm. the whole ideology of we're better, we're going to kill you and put our religion here. So it, at this time now, uh, as human beings, uh, we're being told by certain powers of the earth that we have to evolve. We have to evolve as individuals. Uh, we can't have stupid fights. We can't lie. We can't uh, hurt each other. And we have to apply those realities to nations. And uh, it sounds Pollyanna-ish, but we have to just get along, you know, just just the way your mom would have said, you know, boys, don't fight. You have to just get along. And um, we have to learn how to do that. That's that's where we are right now. And uh, it's our inability to do that that creates this strife. But if we decide to do that, uh, again, that's why I'm learning Russian. I would love to have a conversation with one-on-one -on -one with Putin. If I could do that, I feel like that would be great because I... I look up to him. I, I like a lot of things he says. Uh, and, and same with Trump. I like a lot of things he says. I back him up on um, being anti-TPP, anti-NAFTA. Mm -hmm. I agree with him on a lot of things. And strangely, uh, Bernie agrees on those things, anti-TPP and, uh, and also anti-NAFTA. So I think that it's, it's also important for us to see beyond conservative and liberal and, and think as Americans. That's also my, my main point. Yeah, I touch on that quite a bit on this program because I don't think that we're going to be able to make this change that we need to make. I mean, stop a lot of this violence that we seem to be headed towards as long as we're continuing to be violent towards each other, which is, in my view, what the left-right paradigm is all about. I mean, half of us are Republicans, half of us are Democrats. We're fighting all the time. It's just like, wait a minute, can we just ditch these you know, these labels that we've placed on each other and, and look at the world through a different lens. And then I think we could maybe start to achieve some more positive uh, effects. And also, there's just not enough of us to be fighting each other. Like, if we want to make a change, we have to be unified against uh, against what's going on. We can't be, uh, you know, it's divide and conquer, it seems to me. Exactly. Yeah, it's very much that. And um, uh, sometimes I'll watch a little clip uh, on YouTube from... Um, Fox News, and they're always saying, those liberals, those progressives, and then I'll come across something where um, there's hate on, on Trump, hate on Republicans, and mm -hmm. those uh, right-wing conspiracy theorists, you know, and, and uh, it really is tiresome for me. I, I came out of being a liberal. I feel that once George Soros bought the uh, Democratic Party, uh, he also brought he bought the term liberal. So I, I just want to be moderate and just say, OK, I'm in the middle. I can talk to Tom DeWeese, mm -hmm. had a conversation with him. I agree so much with him, you know, and then I can also talk to a, a, a very, uh, you know, dyed in the wool liberal person who if, if they're actually liberal, uh, then I feel that they would be against the things like mandatory vaccinations, that they would be against fracking, that they would be against um, Common Core, mm -hmm. uh, if, if they were actually liberal. But I think that the liberals now have become more fascistic. Uh, I came across something interesting that somebody was talking about, the Social Democrats in Iceland, and he said, uh, we call them the fascists. So, uh, interesting. Social Democrats there are considered fascists. I don't know if Democrats here are social Democrats or if they're just socialists, but there's something fascistic uh, in uh, having this uh, common core education is fascistic. Uh, certainly the uh, uh, all the um, 
vaccinations, having that mandatory, mandatory that you, you have to stick, you know, something in my baby mm-hmm. when it's just a baby, that's mandatory. That, that has nothing to do with liberality. That is, that is fascism. So we have to also see things as what they are. If somebody is a Democrat, but they're acting like a fascist, then we have to see they're a fascist. You know, we have to wake up. Yeah, I find that the mainstream media uses this tactic so much. I mean, they probably get ratings by, you know, by fostering the hate. It just seems like a never-ending cycle. But um, a lot of the left, I mean, you know, it kind of surprised me. I saw a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters wake up after... um, after what happened to him during the primary, and I, I've interviewed, I, I interviewed Jared Beck, who uh, you know filed the lawsuit to try to um, uh, prove that the DNC had committed fraud with all of that. Uh, so I interview people on the left and on the right, and I'm just trying to hope that people can get through it. I find the mainstream media really promotes and are trying to funnel people into, oh, here's an issue. Well, we have to create a left and a right about it. Um, they turn the whole uh, the whole why Trump won into the Russian the anti-Russian thing, and suddenly all of these, as you say, these quote unquote liberals are now anti-Russia. But it's like, aren't, aren't you? If you're really liberal, aren't you supposed to be anti-war? Aren't you supposed to be promoting peace? It's interesting to find that so many people they self-identify as liberal, but then if the mainstream media needs you know, needs quote unquote liberals to think one way or the other. So many people just get herded down this path and they're not really following their hearts or, you know, being able to see the bigger picture. Yeah. And I just, uh, for a while, as I said, I didn't know what happened, uh, but then I figured it out uh, because that money trail is very enticing. And they found this way through NGOs to uh, leave the breadcrumbs of, uh, you, you can get this money, you can get this grant, and then you get people to just follow you anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how they got the Common Core education going and, and so many other things. That's their, their uh, ploy now. Uh, and yeah, uh, I'm a Kennedy liberal. Uh, and uh, Tom DeWeese in our interview said, well, that, that makes you probably a real reactionary Republican. Right. <laughs> What it means actually is um, uh, I find that Ron Paul is uh, one of the most reasonable people, uh, mm-hmm. politicians or politically minded people in the world. When he speaks, I listen and go, okay, Ron, that's, you got it. Because he, he tends to see through all these things um, and he's a libertarian or also ran as a Republican. But I think now he's just, just a reasonable person. Um, and, and and I'm really glad that he exists and that he's putting that reasonableness out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think we should listen to him. I, I wish that he were more powerful in the system. I wish that more people would listen to him. Uh, but I, I want to go in there and I just want to say, okay, guys, this is, this is real. And I want to talk to those other candidates for California governor and say um, to them, what are your plans? Do you want to go with Agenda 21. Are you going to have the chemtrails? Uh, how about the fires? Next season, you're going to have those fires uh, again? Because they're saying, oh, well, this might happen anytime. And, the, you know, it, it could be wildfires forever. But we see through those. We, we can see that they're phony. Mm-hmm. And um, we just need to all wake up and say, stop it. We're watching and we'll take you out.
Well, let's uh, let's use this opportunity to get into more of your um, your ideas for what you would do as governor. You've already talked about the yeah. Common Core curriculum a little bit. Do you want to get into that? Like, what is going on with the education program? The the mandatory vaccination thing, which is connected, they use public education to say, "Hey, you can't, your kid can't go to school without the without the mandatory vaccinations." And it is mind blowing to me that people sit back and say, "Oh, it's okay for the state to make these personal medical choices for you and your family without being called out as a fascist." I mean, that as you mentioned, it just kind of blows me away that that people don't seem to see that there needs to be a barrier between what the government can do to our bodies and to our minds without our personal choice, you know? Informed consent. It all comes down to informed mm -hmm. consent, which is uh, in terms of John Locke, who is the original liberal, and he's the English philosopher who pretty much uh, the Constitution was structured along his philosophy a lot. Um, it's informed consent, uh, the consent of the governed. I read the Declaration of, the, of Independence the other day in front of a group of people, and it says right there, it's all about the consent of the governed. And um, so, yeah, vaccinations. Uh, it's this Senator Pan, uh, who is South Korean. Uh, and so our numbers in terms of uh, the U.S., uh, in terms of autism, we're, we're third, uh, we have the third highest autism rate in the world. Underneath that is South Korea. Underneath that is Hong Kong. Mm. Hong Kong mm. is about one in every 20 something who is getting autism. Wow. So, uh, and it could be that these uh, poisonous vaccine, uh, vaccinations have a predilection for Asians, but I'm not certain of that. But, um, but so South Korea is, is even worse uh, record of autism than the U.S. and and we are one of the least healthy nations. Uh, Pan now wants to make it so that you cannot put out a video that says you're against vaccinations. Um, he wants to stop that. They want to come in, stop freedom of the press uh, and First Amendment rights of Americans if they want to say that vaccinations are are um, poisonous, which they so obviously are. Um, so. Uh, this this thing all comes from uh, from UN Agenda 21, and these it's coming through the Democrats this time. Uh, through 9/11, it was the neocons; they were the tools of the New World Order, and now the Democrats are the tools of the New World Order. So it just switches up um, because it's really the New World Order is the banks, um, the Rothschilds. And the Rothschilds are, are the Vatican bankers. And so, again, it gets right up to the, the Vatican, who is the biggest, biggest banking cartel on the planet. And um, so it doesn't matter whether it's neocons or uh, neo-democrats. Uh, it's, it's still the, the same story and building towards the same one world government. Uh, in that one world government, they want to be able to depopulate at will. All these vaccinations are actually depopulation vaccinations. And it comes, uh, I, I just published something on depopulation. And these things come through uh, the New World Order as it was expressed by the fascists, the Nazis, who came over into this country and then uh, populated things like the CDC and Merck and other um, 
big pharma companies. It's also in Monsanto and the food. And um, then in terms of what we're doing to our, our kids with Common Core Education, we're, we're filling them full of drugs uh, that are poisonous. Um, and then we're filling them full of this reverse education, which actually creates a, a surf-like mentality for the kids. It's the education I've, I've seen it. My, my parents were educators, presidents of the PTA, and uh, both of them were teachers. And my two sisters are teachers. And um, so I understand education. I've been a teacher all my life. So I can look at that education. It's phony. Um, it is to hurt their, main, their, their brains and make them less capable of thinking. Uh, what would make people think would be getting into literature and traditional education. Mm -hmm. uh, but this has been put forth as higher standards. It's actually lower standards. Uh, people will have a hard time getting into college. And it's corporate education. It comes right out of uh, Bill Gates. Bill Gates now owns our educational system. And uh, I don't remember voting for him, and I don't believe he was ever up for office. So here's this person. He's just a person, a corporate uh, person, who now runs the educational system of our great nation, which is idiocy. Idiocy that we allow that. So I will get rid of that. <laughs> I would get rid of Common Core, boom, and, and vaccinations too. Yeah. What what do you what do you replace Common Core with? I mean, it seems like um, from some of the literature that I read that you're just trying to get things back into more local control. I mean, I you know this is what seems like it's been happening is that these you know again like with the more and more of these interviews that I do, the more I just see that it's about those people, rich people trying to control our lives, and if we can just get it back to our communities being able to get together with the other families and the people that you know that can make choices for ourselves about our health care and our education, um, you know, then this is winning the battle, really. So how do you do that? How do you attack these corporations or the United Nations or keep these foreign ent entities and these transnational entities from coming in? I mean, they've got such a grip in Sacramento right now. It's unbelievable. Uh, yes, they do. Um, you mentioned ICLEI before, and ICLEI is the kind of local arm of the UN Agenda 21. So they're coming in and kind of posing as local people, um, getting these agendas done on a planning um, a planning idea, ideology. Um, but local government is always best. It's better if we are governed, if we govern ourselves in a local way, local city, uh, county, state, then country. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, the feds have no business uh, coming and giving us an educational program. It should be uh, a state-oriented thing. Each state should have their own program. And it, it will go back to that because uh, people will get sick of it very shortly. And there are a lot of people who are trying to opt out of Common Core now that they found out how bad it is. Um, we have to govern ourselves in a community exactly through families, through conversations, through getting together. Um, we cannot be governed uh, from on high, from outside of our borders. And um, so the, the solution is to, to meet with each other, to talk, to start to get back to what uh, community is supposed to be, a sense of trust, neighborliness, uh, do unto others, very basic stuff. Because 
all this is, um, in a, in a way, an aggregation of our own ability, uh, inability to connect with each other. We have to learn better how to connect with e with each other, and to see each other's truths and um, solve problems. What I get back to in terms of education is more traditional education, actual traditional and classical education. Uh, the kind of education I had, we read books. Uh, Common Core, they avoid reading books. I read some great literature at an early age. I was lucky to have two very well-educated parents who led me towards that, but also my schools, um, which my parents always tried to, to get us into the right school districts and good um, public schools. I was brought up that way. It, it can be traditional education. It's great. Uh, classical education reading, um, learning mathematics, actual mathematics. Uh, I started as a physics major at UCLA um, before I knew any better, but when I was in high school, I got my best, the best grade in my physics class. I got several of the best grades in the school, Samo High, uh, high School in Santa Monica. And that was because of my parents and because it had a good educational program. It's, it isn't we don't have to reinvent anything, really. Uh, teachers, good teachers, have good educations, and they know how to teach. And we have to more leave it up to them. And it's between the teachers and the parents. And if, um, as I said, my sisters are teachers, they have to deal with parents. Mm -hmm. uh, you do. And then it shouldn't be the, the big brother parent. It should be the parents. to come in with their kids. You meet them. If you've got problems, you solve them. It's, it's life. We don't need right. all this big, big stuff, you know. Uh, big government. We also have to see that if we allow this kind of international socialism, we're saying, okay, government solve all our problems, but government is, government is never good at solving problems. You go to see somebody in the government uh, for, for often a little thing, you find that they're very inefficient. Bureaucracy is inefficient. Technocracy is that on steroids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that the teachers a lot of times they find themselves in in between a rock and a hard place when it comes to the parents, you know, would like to be able to work with the teachers to decide the direction that they want their child's education to go in, but the teacher is required to follow this common core curriculum. So they can't, you know, they can't really work with the parents in the way that everybody deserves to be able to work with. I mean, this is your kid's education, you know. It's such an important part of your life and to have it be given uh, you know, handed down from on high, as you say, uh, it takes, it, it's just, it's, it's really actually kind of sad. It's sad that that responsibility and even that I would call it a gift is taken away from so many parents. Uh, and then the teachers aren't allowed to, to give their gift back to the community by teaching in accordance with the parents' wishes and in accordance with their own skill set. They're just following these basic rules. Yeah. And they, Part of the program also is to separate the child from the parent because now the child is studying something the parent really can't understand. You try to look at that math and you'll go, I, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. You know, Even if you were a math whiz and you did great in your own algebra, you'll look at that math, common core math, and say, I, I don't get it. So there, therefore that bond between the child and the parent has been broken. That's where I got most of my education from my parents uh, and a great understanding. And my dad would help me with my math problems. I remember one time uh, going to my uh, math class as a senior in high school, and I put the answer on the board and uh, because my dad had figured it out. And all the other people, and they had smart dads too, believe me, in this math course, which was the highest one at the school. And uh, it's because my dad stu stayed up 
into the night to figure out that problem because he, he was committed to my education. And also, I guess he's in competition a little bit with the other dads who might figure it out. And I was the only one. And, the, and when I put it on the board, they all said, did you figure that out? I said, no, I cannot tell a lie, my right. dad. And, and that connection is being lost. And that is the most serious loss uh, with Common Core education. Mm-hmm. Uh, the parents want to be able to, it's part of nurturing to have that educational link with the, with the child. I have so much, I don't have uh, children as yet in my life, um, but I feel that that would be one of the main things I'd want to share with my child or children is, is their education, and, and that is sad. Uh, and we have, to, we have to get back to that. We're gonna get back to that because there's something in nature that won't allow a breach of something so precious to occur and we have to in our hearts feel like we will do whatever it takes to to get that back yeah i do uh we we end up having on the show conversations about the idea of natural law a lot it seems like this um whatever this force is that's really trying to impose itself or create this one world government or or build this empire that stretches across the globe it, in order to be able to do that, you have to break natural law. You have to impose something on top of what should just ordinarily work, you know, beautifully and wonderfully as the state of nature does. <laughs> and and uh, so if we can just, you know, stop allowing that control from above and start letting the system work the way it was designed, the system of nature, then uh, I think a lot of these problems would just go away. The, the planet Earth would clean herself, you know. It's true. And uh a lot of the people I study, um, whether it's Stanislavski for acting, who's one of the main reasons I was learning Russian, because acting dates to Stanislavski, who was a Russian, um, and he talks about studying nature. You look at nature and you study nature, human nature. Uh, another person I'm into about water, he spent his time as a forestry, uh, in, in a forestry service in um, Austria, studying nature. Um, so we have to get back into that. I've, I've actually started taking walks in nature uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, I'm a proponent of that. Getting back to nature is important. Getting back to our own human nature and actually going out in nature, listening and realigning ourselves with that. Because what you mentioned is exactly true. This is nothing less than a war against nature. So when they put all that geoengineering in the sky, that's meant to kill the earth. And they, they will gladly kill the earth to kill us and to control things. These, these people who say they're environmentalists, so sustainability, environmentalism, this all throughout Agenda 21, they are the people that are creating that death of, of nature by putting all these heavy-duty chemicals, uh, chemicals in the water, fluoride. They are decimating our planet, and, um, and we have to stop them in order to save the planet. It's, and black is white, and white is black with these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they say something, what they mean is the exact opposite of that. So when they say sustainability and we're, you know, we love the earth and in the symbol, uh, the olive leaf branches around the earth, uh, the, dra- the drastic opposite of that is, is the truth. And these people 
uh, are the, the last people who care about anything environmental or nature. Yeah, one of the things I've been struck with lately is as you study this Agenda 21 or the people who are behind these United Nations programs and you realize that the people that are funding this stuff ostensibly for these environmental reasons or these sustainability desires are the same people that are making money off of polluting the environment. I mean, it's so you're like, what's what's going on? If you really cared about the environment, then maybe you just stop, you know, with building nuclear power plants or, you know, oil drilling in the Arctic. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, um, you know, this same group of people has kept us on oil, kept us on fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. um, there's this, uh, this guy, I can't remember his name, but it's Stanley something that's either um, Stanley is his first or second name, but he came up with a, a water car, a, an engine that ran off of water. Um, and it's uh, and he got killed. You know, right. there's so many. I studied somebody else who did uh, an engine based on magnetism. He got killed. Um, they have been keeping us on oil so that we will go attack, uh, you know, the Middle East. Hey, you've got our oil. We're going to kill millions of you. And uh, but we're going to use this as an excuse because you you. Uh, you took down our buildings in Manhattan, so but uh, so we, that vindicates us to some degree. But um, yeah, it's it's the absolute anti nature, and so all these things like building new forms of energy, that's that's important. That's against them. Uh, we have to open up for that. If I were governor of this great state, I would make sure that we had lots of research and development occurring on on more natural forms of uh, of energy. We we can move away from oil anytime very easily mm -hmm. with the technology that exists, um, but we just have to have that volition and the uh, the people at the top have to uh, be pushed out of the way uh, for us to be able to do so. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that has really struck me is this control of technology that this, this control group or this elite group seems to have to where that they, they only hand out the technologies that they want us to use. They don't give us, they don't give patents out to, as you say, the water driven cars. Um, there's, you know, a lot of people out there talking about free energy or, or magnetism driven energy, machines that could really solve the problem and get us right off of oil so you know it would be gargantuan if uh, if if someone with the resources of the entire state of california could actually wrest control of the technology i think a lot of the technologies are then um classified under military uh, on the federal level and so these people that control on the federal level are actually controlling the technologies that we're allowed to use so it would be incredible to see someone even on the state level uh, be able to liberate the population to be able to use a lot of these alternative technologies that are out there. Yeah, and I think that's coming. Um, what what will come is uh, there will be a new time after this. This is um, we'll look back on this and go, wow, uh, it's it's amazing the extent to which uh, despotism will will go uh, to strangle, to hurt, uh, to destroy. And um, yes, other other governors will take it up. Uh, it's my idea to get into politics, to be the governor of California. And, uh, and I, the reason also is that California is a very major state. Uh, it's a very strong state. Um, 
Jerry Brown has has sought to diminish and delete it. Uh, everything he's done, uh, whether it's um, the you know getting rid of dams, uh, getting uh, you know allowing the fires, allowing the drought and chemtrails and stuff like this, he is pounding California, trying to destroy it. Open borders, uh, just come on in, come in, vote. He's just trying to destroy California and the system. And, and the hope is that he has enough leverage, uh, the hope of George Soros and of Jerry Brown, is that he has enough leverage to actually destroy the whole thing. Uh, and we just have to see that and go, no, no, he doesn't, you know, uh, get, get rid of him. And I also want to warn anybody who actually wins for governor, uh, because as I said to somebody the other day, it would it would take a miracle for me to win, uh, but I do believe in miracles. Uh, and just as a as a caveat to anybody who wins, um, know that we're watching and that uh, California has a long history of recalling their governors. And uh, if we see those Agenda 21 policies, if we see the fires, uh, a drought, and other things against California, Californians or against the U.S. Uh, we'll know, we'll change them. So we're uh, we're over an hour. It's kind of like back to that time in the interview where we should be wrapping it up. But I wanted you to spend some time on one other issue that you have uh, outlined on your webpage, which is about the homelessness issue. It's such a huge deal here in California. We see it. It's a terrible problem in Los Angeles, but also in any of the major cities here in California. And you really feel like I mean, with the resources of a functional state, you could eliminate the problem. Uh, how would you go about doing that? Um, the homeless problem, I feel, can be solved uh, in, in a number of uh, ways. One of the main things is that here's this liberal conservative thing again. Conservatives are going to say, no, we can't have social programs uh, for the homeless because we're already taxed out of our minds. And I would say... That's, that's reasonable, uh, but there might be a, another way to do it without using tax dollars. Uh, and I don't mean uh, what some people have tried, you know, saying, oh, well, it's up to the churches to house the homeless. Mm -hmm. No, I mean that we can actually be have a credible uh, volunteerism sort of situation, and the, uh, the state can actually grease the wheels and, and help good come to those people. Mm -hmm. We can also... Uh, use social service programs to understand each uh, problem of each individual homeless person because some of them can work, some of them can't. Uh, some of them are on drugs, some of them aren't. We have to, they have to be sorted out and, uh, and understood. Every time, uh, whether it's a human or an animal or whatever it is, once you actually understand their problem, you've gone a long way to solving it. When one other person says, okay, I get what you're talking about. I get what happened to you uh, and I hear you. Um, mm -hmm. That actually solves so many problems uh, in our psyches uh, that it's miraculous. So that that has to happen. And then on the, on the side that the liberals will be against, we'll have to, uh, we've got vagrancy laws on the books and we're going to have to uh, enforce those vagrancy laws. We're going to have to have a situation whereby enough housing is there for those people who are presently on the street, and the vagrancy laws are going to have to be uh, enforced. So we, we on one level, some people would say, well, that's fascistic. Well, no, it's not. It's just saying that for the children coming up, 
the children don't need to see homeless people on the, on the street. Oh, that's what I have to look forward to. Uh, that's that's not good. It's not good for business. I've been a business owner. I've dealt with homelessness in each of my businesses and my theaters. It, it brings the neighborhood down. Uh, I've had people for lessons say, no, I can't go to your neighborhood. It's a bad neighborhood. And it's because of the homeless. So we have to solve the problem compassionately, also with the mindfulness towards uh, towards business, because if we bring up business, that's going to bring up the tax base. And uh, we have to think about what's good for business, too. It, it, and then we're thinking about individuals. So it's those two things we have to be cognizant of uh, in government, getting business to be strong, getting individuals to be strong. And um, there's also the idea that um, in Israel they have, um, uh, it's escaping me, they have this uh, uh, kibbutz. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it's possible to bring a, a kibbutz idea. Uh, maybe small groups of, of people who were once homeless can get together and they have this Thing that they produce or manufacture or they do some good within a community. You can start communities. And, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because it has a business potential to it that those people uh, who are still able to work can create good in the world and be productive. And that is so important to the uh, mental health of each individual. Um, so we can solve it. Other, other countries have solved it uh, Reagan started the problem by emptying out the mental institutions. And uh, when we look at Reagan, more, more definitely we'll see that he was also a Knight of Malta. And he was in favor of, uh, and, and he was a communist too before he got to be uh, other things. And uh, we, we have to see that it was put on us. It didn't always exist. We can solve it because we're smart and we can get together do it, just do it. It's there. It's easy. Right. I mean, I love the notion of having two, you know, taking these ideas from the left and from the right and actually creating a real compromise. There's so much, I think, wastefulness that occurs as a result of the corruption that's in the government that if you cleaned up the government, you could, if you could eliminate that corruption, you could save so much money that, hey, we've got a little bit of extra money here. Why don't we help, you know, the homeless people? Or why don't we set up the the uh, mental institutions again the way that they, they used to be set up? I mean, I know I'm up here in Mendocino County in Northern California, and our sheriff is actually trying to promote uh, the county to, to uh, put up a mental health facility just to get people off the streets who need help. And it's a problem for law enforcement. Um, and I think that this thinking about things in terms of the left-right and this antagonism where it's got to be one way or the other, I mean, if we just talk about it and figure it out, we can, we can you know, save a lot of money, which helps the conservatives, and we can still help people using the massive resources of the state just a little bit more efficiently. So uh, it sounds like a good plan. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, yeah. I feel that. <laughs> I honestly feel, uh, Doug, it's, it's the only thing that will work. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are sometimes, and I'm not saying it, it comes from God. This is my gift. I'm Moses here. You know, Ten Commandments is the only thing that will work. I'm just saying that if we're conscious and we think about it, we'll see the obviousness of that solution, uh, that we do have to get them off the street and that we have to house them. We have to watch out for that. And then it isn't that it's going to be a burden all the time and a continual drag on us or that it's socialism because it doesn't have to be socialism either. 
We can use our constitutional government. We can use uh, entrepreneurialism. We, we have so much uh, intelligence in this country that with a willingness and, uh, you know, building bridges, we can definitely, we can definitely solve that problem and, and so many others. And we can balance our budget. We can be smart. How would you deal with, because it seems to me that the corporate corruption is such a big deal. I mean, all of the lobbying that corporations do. As governor of California, what do you do to confront that and get it out of the system? Uh, with with corporate involvement, I, I would actually start with the electoral process. Mm -hmm. uh, I would back it up a little bit. I, I don't see a reason in the world why the Democrats should be able to receive $100 million from somebody. You know, um, right. we, we have to look at uh, all this lobbying and this corporate pressure and, and make new rules. Or oftentimes it could be like the vagrancy law, you know, enforce what is already there. And uh, we have to get rid of all that corporate corruption. And if, I feel that if we look at our Constitution, the answer is there. Uh, it's a brilliant document. And it, it really is, is going to tell us the answer. It's a living, breathing document. If something's wrong with it, we can make an amendment. Uh, the Bill of Rights are all amendments. Uh, it made the, the Constitution brilliant. So uh, we, can, we can use that as a tool to come in and notice how the, the corporate, uh, corporatocracy works. And it's going to be illegal on some level. Then we need a, um, a strong Justice Department. Uh, I look at Sessions. I don't think he's a strong enough uh, attorney general to actually come in and do the, what has to be done. We have to become bullish about uh, justice, getting justice. And that's, that's all it is. The laws are there. We just have to come in and say, uh, that's it, you know, put, put the law down. So I'm actually a nice guy. I'm a sensitive person. I'm, a, I'm an artist. Uh, and... There are times when you have to be strong. You have to come in and say, uh, no, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, sanctuary city, sanctuary state. That's one of the situations where you have to say, well, you just made an illegal law. So as Californians, we're paying our people up in Sacramento to come up with the illegal laws. I, I, that, that makes no sense. Things that say to law enforcement, no, you can't talk to federal law enforcement and to uh, private citizens. No, you can't tell that there's an immigrant over there who's uh, undocumented. Uh, we just have to actually be bullish about law and order, but top down. We have to go to the top with law and order, mm -hmm. not just you know people say on the street, we have to get the criminals off the street. Those criminals are on the street because we allow criminals up here. And we have to come in and say, no, we have this constitution, you are gone. And we just, I'm, I'm bullish. Uh, I am uh, I, I'm the kind of person who's nice, but then with this kind of stuff with the constitution, I think we have to be solid about things and we have to, I, I support law enforcement. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, uh, in my time as, as a musician, I've come up against police, I'm playing in the wrong place or something. I had to learn, okay, I'm nice to the cops. Right. <laughs> uh, and this one guy who I met and I was working for him, he was the ex uh, police chief of Santa Monica. I, I thought he was the most wonderful guy in the world. I, um, I support law enforcement. I think that it's important for 
for government also to work hand in hand with law enforcement. These guys are actually mostly very good-hearted people. Uh, there are bad apples in, in every barrel, but uh, we have to see the good in, in them too, and, and that will help clean up. Well, that kind of brings me uh, to another issue. What would you do about race relations and where do you stand when it comes to, I mean, you know, right now there's that sort of social justice aspect to dealing with racism. But then there, I, to me, the police violence uh, against minority neighborhoods is an issue. Um, would you, would you, you know, confront this? Uh, how would you deal with that? I mean, it's just such a broad topic, I know. But what are you, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, police, uh, in those instances where they, they go against their code or their oath, they have to be uh, removed. Uh, there's, there's no reason for uh, these acts of police violence. I, in my own world, and I teach acting, I have uh, so many of my students are, are black students. Uh, I had this guy who came up from uh, Columbia to study with me. He was one of my favorite students, just a great guy. Uh, and I'm down with all, all people. I'm down with Mexicans or Guatemala. I, I know people from everywhere. Um, we, we cannot have racism. We cannot allow that, uh, to function or for the, the police to act, uh, that way. Uh, so we have to watch for that, but there's nothing inherently racist about uh, getting rid of the uh, sanctuary states or sanctuary cities. Some people would say, well, that's racism. Well, no, I mean, you have Mexico, we have this border that was figured out a long time ago. Uh, and there is a way to come up into our, you know, to, to America. Um, one of my interns, her, her mother just was naturalized. Uh, she's, she's Latin American. So, um, you have to play by the rules, and uh, and that's fair. Every country has rules. We play by those rules. So whether you're Mexican, whether you're from England, you have to play by those rules to to stay here and be part of America, and um, and then obey our rules. So it's um, it's it's looking at law, and uh, when that cop uh, does that beating, well, he's out. Uh, and we have to say, okay, that's not us. And we have to cleanse ourselves from that. Um, and then we also have to look at things like who are pro problem starters. George Soros, uh, funded black like me, tried to create, uh, tension. I've noticed it with my black actors. We talk about it. They say, you know, it's, it's a tinderbox, mm -hmm. you know, uh, with, with black, white, uh, relations and um, and I see it and I and we have to constantly be aware of that and see how we can bridge that gap uh, and just be conscious individuals and, and treat everybody as equal um, <clears throat> that's very important uh, but, but um, by, by people saying well borders are necessarily racist that's nonsense completely nonsense well, is there uh, any other issue that you really want to talk about and or and or I have just one other question just about what the campaign trail has been like in terms of, you know, getting out there talking to people about these alternative issues and what kind of resistance have you met, um, et cetera. You know, are you are you finding a lot of acceptance out there in the world for these ideas or, or are you seeing a lot of resistance? Well, my ideas are going to seem strange to people at first. Um, 
sometimes I might be preaching to the choir, but I also um, have been going before. Uh, I just went before a group uh, Saturday night, talked to, before a small group and did a PowerPoint presentation. I'm going to this uh, veg fest, uh, a vegan thing on Sunday and talking to people. Um, I think that uh, some people will not understand what I am saying at first. I try to speak to people in their own language or the language that they, they do understand, can understand, uh, which is actually uh, every mother, whether they are uh, liberal, you know, Democrat, Republican, conservative, whatever they are, mm -hmm. they care that their child uh, has a good education. They care that their child is well, uh, eats well, and is healthy. Every mother, regardless of any political thing, feels that about their child. And fathers, too. I don't want to leave them out because fathers uh, feel this way, too. If we can get to that level of speaking to people uh, beyond politics, get into the human values, uh, every Every family deserves to have its own religion in the family. It's a very personal and private thing. Uh, we, we need to allow that to happen. We have to think more in, in terms of families, individuals, uh, partnerships and communities. And then if I speak to somebody who thinks of themselves as conservative, I can speak that language. If somebody's liberal, I can speak that language. I know the territory. And I'm, I'm in the middle. So they're all my brothers and sisters. And, uh, and I, I feel that if, you know, I have gotten some flack uh, and some people trying to hurt me. And, and I've gotten that throughout the history of my publishing different videos. But um, I, I try to just let it roll off me. And uh, let's just get down to, to really talking. And also... Let's not get angry. Let's not uh, get weird. Let's let's talk about kids. You know, yeah. healthy kids, healthy healthy civilization. Uh, bring us back to something real. I think if we're real, and if somebody wants to be real with me, we'll have a good conversation. And uh, if they are trying to hurt me, I'll say, "Well, why are you doing that?" Uh, and then I'll talk to them about what their problem is. You know. Um, I, I can get through it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I think what you bring up there is really 100% true. I, one of the red flags for me, I mean, I've always been interested in politics. I actually interned uh, for the U.S. Congress when I was in college. And when I first got there, you know, I expected there to be these great debates and this, you know, this compromise that the, these guys were working towards uh, on the floor of Congress and you get there and, and suddenly I'm just seeing lobbyists come back and forth. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that so much of the political conversation is really just fake. I mean, it's this fake divide and conquer left versus right um, issues that are real that could solve our problems aren't brought up in the mainstream media, but issues that are divisive are, are promoted. Um, it seems to me like I think humanity has a chance if we do just get real with each other and actually talk about how we feel instead of, um, it, it's almost like these people, you know, we talk about this, this one world group, these, this elite group that seems to have this kind of master plan that they're trying to force us all down. But that is, you can, you can feel it, that it's not a real thing, that it's, 
I mean, I was reading, uh, I read this, some of this, the Agenda 21, you actually had a link to the primary source, the Agenda 21 book, the original book. And uh, I read the chapter on education because I was interested. And it was just talking about environmentalism. You know, we have to educate our children to environmentalism and sustainability. But it would never yeah. really discuss what those were, and we're not having, you know, we're not having a conversation. I mean, of course, everybody wants to ha live in a clean environment in a sustainable way. But what does that mean? That's the question. And so, you know, what's the difference between getting fed this kind of fake, uh, this fake worldview that's being shoved down our throats, but then actually having a dialogue that that manufactures some real solutions? I think that's a, a super huge point. Yeah. Um, well. It comes from uh, the solution really is to, to grow up. We have to, uh, we've been told we can be perpetual children and just play uh, in mm -hmm. America. That uh, just so we pay for the military and they can go out and adventure and bring back the money. Uh, very much like Rome. Uh, sometimes I tell people I'm an early Roman living in late Rome. Right. Uh, and uh, as, an, as an early Roman, uh, I see the need to be uh, uh, tight and real with things and uh, exact, like this is exact and not too much of like this, you know, that fluffy sort of thing that the media gives you, uh, making lies sound beautiful. And uh, Agenda 21 is like that. It's all flowery language about, yeah, we're going to do this and that. But when you look underneath it, um, they, it's, it's totalitarian, uh, fascism, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you could communism, you could call it fascism. He's, even Nazism started out as a, as a form of socialism, national socialism. So, um, it seems all warm and cozy, um, at first. And people say, oh, I'm, I'm a socialist, I'm pro-socialist. But when you get down to it, uh, the reality, if you see a socialist country like Venezuela and bread lines going around the block and nobody has food, uh, it's, it's a horrible, horrible, uh, look at Brazil. I mean, they, they have death squads killing teenagers, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's ridiculous. We have to grow up, defend our U.S. Constitution, our uh, Declaration of Independence, but they, the framers and certainly Jefferson always knew that there was a chance that we'd get like like this, like La La Land, and then we get, you know, then they'll put the ring in your nose and pull you. Mm -hmm. So, in a very real way, we just have to learn not to be fake, um, just to be real, to look each other in the eye, tell the truth, uh, and that's what people said about acting. Uh, one of the laws of acting is to look the other person in the eye and tell the truth. So um, I'm used to busting actors by saying, okay, no, that was phony, you're pretending. Because uh, right. acting is not pretending. So we have to get rid of the pretense and the pretentiousness and um, just, just be real, which is just human, just be human. Well, that sounds like a plan, Peter. I, I wish you all the luck with the campaign and I really appreciate that you're getting out there and getting the word out there. I think that so much of political campaigning, especially um, with this alternative perspective, is just being able to educate so many people about uh, different ways of viewing the world. Uh, and so I appreciate the work that you're doing. Do you have uh, a website or some contact information where people can find out more about your campaign? 
Yes, um, we have a Facebook, which is Valentino for the number four GOV on Facebook. Then also it's Valentino for gov.org, which is my site. Uh, just remember it's the number four Valentino for GOV.org. And then um, people can get there. Um, in terms of what you said about expanding the campaign, if I had more donations, I could go up north. Uh, I'd like to do that. I want to, this last little time that we have before June 5th, which is really the deadline of all this, um, I want to do as much <clears throat> uh, whistle-stop stuff as, as possible and, and shake hands and meet people. Um, I'm looking forward to doing that. I have mostly done videos, but I'm moving into that now, and uh, I want to do a whole bunch of that, talking to people and and hearing them, and uh, again, hearing their needs and saying, okay, let's do this. And you're in the signature gathering phase of the campaign. How many signatures do you need to get? Um, they require 60. Uh, I have a few. I have somebody who's taking up the cause, and they're, they're going to get those for me. I'm going to get some this weekend. Uh, it's a difficult thing to, like, for instance, through this medium to say, okay, sign this thing, because <laughs> right. it, it has to be signed and put in, in this um, kind of platform. Um, but um, uh, that's, that's what I need, 60 signatures. And then I also need um, people to share the things I put out and to, to pitch in that way, just get the word out by sharing uh, working on understanding what it is I'm saying, because I'm saying it from a very loving perspective and uh, truth-seeking. And also I would say to people, go ahead and look up everything I say and find it yourselves, because uh, you don't have to take my word for it. Uh, the things I say are, are very real, and you can investigate that yourself and find out the same answers. All right. Well, that sounds great, Peter. Again, I wish the best of luck to you. And I just want to remind my listeners that uh, if you like what you're hearing here on The Shift, then please think about becoming a patron at patreon.com backslash The Shift. You can join my Facebook page at The Shift with Doug McKenty. I'm on Twitter at McKenty, and my website is theshiftnow.com where you can find all of my archives uh, and some other information about the show. Uh, thanks again, Peter, for participating in this interview. Thanks, Doug. You're a great man. I appreciate your help. Yeah, I appreciate what you're doing, too. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.